Amen. Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Yeah, wow. It's just, it's, it's awesome to be in the house, Lord, when we're trying to find seats for people and, uh, and kind of scrunching in and scrambling to see where we're going to park people. The excitement to be in the Lord's house this morning uh, is outstanding. Well, we're going to continue this series this morning. We're going to look at John chapter 8. We're walking through this series called When I Am. Two weeks ago, we talked about when I'm terrified. There's just these times in life when we just live in fear, and God says, you know, that's not what I designed you for. It's not what I wanted to offer you. And so I encourage you, you to go back and listen to that. This week, though, uh, we're going to talk about when I'm found out. Anybody ever been found out? Amen. Caught? Caught in the middle of something? Didn't get away with it? That's what we're going to talk about this week. Because the reality is, in life, we get caught sometimes. We get found out sometimes. Now, sometimes there are little things we kind of laugh off. Other times they're just detrimental, destructive to our lives. And so we just want to talk about that a little bit this morning. John chapter 8, we're going to talk about a familiar story. Now, we have actually worked through this story several times over the years. And in fact, if you went on our, our Wendover Hills page and you looked through the sermons, you'd actually see a couple sermons where we've worked on this and we've talked uh, at length uh, about this interaction between Jesus and some Jewish religious leaders and this lady who was caught in adultery. I want to focus this morning our time on the response of Jesus, because I think it's the response Jesus still has to offer today to us. And so we'll catch up on that in just a few minutes. It was uh, my senior year of high school. I had been dating a girl not quite two years. We didn't make it two years. And we had, um, I don't know, I think you're supposed to say we had a mutual breakup, right? I think that's how you're supposed to tell the story, but I'm not sure it actually happened that way. There was a ton of awkwardness after uh, this breakup, as often comes with a breakup. And so from the period of about, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks before graduation from high school when the breakup occurred, till now the end of the summer, I had worked creatively to avoid all interaction and being able to see this girl uh, in any setting. And because I, I was a little afraid of the awkwardness. But we ended up at my best friend's uh, birthday party, and as we were there, sure enough, she was there as well. Now, this is just a normal, about a three-bedroom home, and, uh, and quite a few people there, so I tried creatively that night to, I'm in this room, she's in that room, and as she's moving this way, I needed to move this way, those kind of things, so I avoided all interaction the best I could. You see, I, she's the only girl I had dated up to that point. And when I say dated, I mean like the only girl I'd ever even gone on a date with. I mean, this was like significant. At, at, at some point during that almost two-year period, you know, I thought, this is the love of my life. I mean, this is who I'm going to go off and marry and, you know, and have kids and the whole bit. I mean, that's, that's what I thought. So this was a period right after the breakup, which was very weird and awkward. And there was a girl in youth group. And I said, I She's kind of got it going on. I think, uh, I think maybe I'll ask her out, and we'll go out one night together. This was after the breakup, and I don't know why I felt so guilty actually doing this and going out on a date, but I did. I went out on a date. It was incredibly romantic. I took her to a pizza place um, and then to a minor league baseball game. Uh, I mean, really, it, I mean, I should have known that night. If she was all into that pizza and baseball, then it, this was going to work out, um, and it didn't. But <laughs> so I'm at this party now, and uh, 
and there is the girl I dated. And I decided just this awkwardness, this weirdness is a little too much for me, so I decided I'd go ahead and, and head out. I got in my car, and I, I headed home. And sure enough, I look in my rearview mirror, and the familiar vehicle of my former girlfriend is driving behind me. And I'm thinking, okay, we're going to have to at some point have some conversation. I don't know if you call it a define the relationship after the relationship, but I thought that's, I guess we're going to have to have this kind of conversation. So I pulled over uh, on the side next to a park. She pulled over. We got in the same vehicle, and we just started chatting about whatever. And it came, and she asked the question, why do you think it's so awkward for us to be around each other? Can't we just be friends? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's just... It's just, it's what it is. It just, it's just awkward. I don't know. And she said, do you think it was because of the date? Now, I had told nobody about that one night pizza and, and a baseball game. Not even my best friend knew, just my parents. And I don't know why I felt guilty. I felt bad that I went out with another girl after I broke up with this girl. I'm not sure why, but I felt incredibly guilty and remorseful at that point, as if I owed her something, and so I just spilled my guts and just shared my heart entirely. I, 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 you just need to know, it, it, it was really no big thing. I just, I, I didn't really even know her. I just, we've been in youth group a while. I mean, it, we didn't even do anything. I mean, we had pizza, and we went to a baseball game. It's not like we kissed or anything. I mean, I, all this I just dumped out, and she looked at me, a little confused, and she said, I meant the date, like this would have been two years together today. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, that date, caught, caught. You ever been caught? Like, did you ever try to just get away with something, and you got busted, and you got caught? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What happens after we get caught? What does God bring to our life? What does he have to offer somebody who has been busted? Because my guess would be every single one of us in this room can tell a story like I just told. Some of you will tell a story that was incredibly hurtful and destructive in your life. What does God have to offer? Well, let's take a look at this story, and let's put it in context first, and just just straight read it. So if you've got your Bibles, it's John chapter 8. It'll be on the screen, or if you're uh, um, you're more tech-savvy, just look at it on your phone or your your tablet or those type of things. Um, There's something powerful, though, about having, like, your own resource in your hand to engage in God's Word, so we always encourage that here. But follow along in whatever way you you need this morning. Here's what it says. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. Now this is just something he did all the time. He He was at God's house. He was preaching. He was teaching. He was interacting with people. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the religious leaders and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, just, you got to understand this setting, because it's not unlike what we're in this morning. And if this morning I decided to take my staff and the board of this church, all right, and I found out that one of you this past week filed your taxes, it's that season, right? And you cheated big time. And we found it out. And this morning I said, and the board with me, come on up, stand on the stage, Here's what this person did. We just found it out. That's the setting. That's what's going on here. You understand? So let's take a look back at it. Verse 4. 
Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped back down again and he wrote in the dust. This is not the only time Jesus was confronted by religious leaders who didn't care so much about the person they were using to confront, but they were, what they were concerned about and what they cared about was trying to trap Jesus in his words so they could put him to death. Now, we said long before in the book of John, and we've been walking through this entire school year, that there was a thing that switched in the religious leaders where their goal from that point on was try to get Jesus accused so they could put him to death. This is just another attempt here. Jesus kind of throws him for a curveball here in what he did. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't like even one of them continue? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. It's a powerful story of redemption here and forgiveness and restoration. We're going to talk about those things. Now, there's a ton, like I said, we could dig into that would put it into the context of the, the religious, religious leaders and why they were trying to do it in this way and, and how Jesus was being trapped. But for the sake of our time this morning, which is limited, I want to focus on Jesus' response, and I want to encourage you to pick up one of those other messages where we've walked through those type of things. Before we get there, though, let's just ask a question. What do we do? What do we tend to do when we're caught? Like when we're found out in something. Now, notice the passage here. This lady had been caught in adultery. I once read a book that was talking about this passage, and they were talking about how just vicious the Pharisees were, and they, and they very, very much were in this passage. We can see it. But it said they even trumped up charges of adultery. Now, that caught my eye because um, we want to be true to what the Scripture says is really there. And as I dug and, and looked at this, it's clear this lady, seemingly in, in all the versions of the story, is caught in adultery. She's been found out. She's been caught. Whatever the motives are of the Pharisees, she's done it. We've all done something. What do we tend to do when that happens, right? When we get caught in something, what do we tend to do? Well, the first thing we, we do is we lie. You ever lied when you got caught? It's this knee-jerk reaction to say, no, 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 you don't understand. I, what, that wasn't, I wasn't even there. That wasn't me. Or, you know, you've got it wrong. You've got the facts a little off here. And we try to somehow reason our way out of it by not giving the entire truthful version of the story. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? We lie. What is it about us that this knee-jerk reaction to want to say, no, that wasn't me. No, I didn't do that. Do you remember how Simon Peter got himself in trouble? Jesus had already predicted it would happen, but he's standing there. Jesus has already been arrested, and three times people come to him, and they say, wait a second, aren't you? Wait, you're, you're one of those followers of Jesus. Like, you're one of the ones that are close to him. And what was his way? In that situation, it was to say, uh-uh, 
wasn't me. Take a look at one of them is right here. This is actually his second denial. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him, you're not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, no, no, I'm not. There's something about wanting to just defer it entirely and say, no, it wasn't me, as if that would make it go away entirely. Sometimes with our family, sometimes with our friends. You may even convince your boss every once in a while. But usually in the end, the lie never gets it done. What else do we tend to do when we're caught? Um, Sometimes we tend to give up. But we're going to talk about surrendering ourselves to the Lord in a minute. That's not what we mean here. Give up in a way that it's uh, almost like we're trying to say, well, forget it. I mean, all right, fine. I just give up. I'll just... I'll just never do this again, or I'll just never be a part of this again, and then that'll, that'll be fine. It's almost the overdramatic give-up defers the getting caught. It's a silly example, but, you know, in my house growing up, I've told you before, my key role was the trash, take out the trash, which included the kitty litter as well, which I hated. Take out the trash, take out the kitty litter, right? And if I didn't, and it, it piled up a, li- a little, especially in the litter box, which uh, it, very clearly you understand when it piles up because it stinks. You know, my dad would come and my dad would say something like, you, you didn't take out the kitty litter. So I developed a little method of bagging the kitty litter. I don't know why I thought this was effective. And instead of actually going outside to the trash can, I just put it between the wall and the dryer, the bag, and that saved me like six or seven steps. I mean, that's a long way, right? Now, this was Southern California, so the weather was always good. I don't even have that to him. I'm not sure why I did it, but, but that's where I put it. And my dad would come out and say, why did you put all those bags? And it's like busted, right? So what did I do? I just went through an overdramatic, um, well, I just give up, Dad. I guess I'm just not good at taking out the trash, I'm just no good at doing kitty litter. I'm just not, you, you should just get somebody else to do it. I'll never be good at this. You, can you see my dad look at me like, what is the matter with you? <laughs> you know, it's a funny story, but the truth is sometimes that, that's our, our way to deal with getting caught. Is this overdramatic. And I'm done. I don't even need this. Here's a, a, a quote that I thought was impactful. Uh, the quickest way to quitting is discovering who you really are. Like, when it's revealed who we really are, like, when it's revealed, like, Tom, you're really trying to get away with walking out to the trash can by putting cat litter in between the wall and the dryer. That's who you really are. The quickest way to quitting is discovering who you really are. But strangely enough, it's the only way to reaching who you were meant to be. Powerful quote there is when the truth of who we are comes out. Another thing we tend to do when we... Uh, are caught is we blame. Do we not? We blame. And we say, well, it's, yeah, okay, I did it, but, and then we turn around. And this has been going on since the very beginning of time when God created Adam and Eve, right? And he says, tend the garden. Enjoy everything in the garden. I got one thing, though, just one thing. Stay away from this. Don't eat of this. Simple enough, right? And yet, that's exactly what they end up doing. And what do we find out in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, when God comes into the garden and says, hey, where are you? 
Oh, we were hiding. Well, who told you to hit, hide? Uh, well, we were embarrassed. And, Jesus, and this, is what, this is what's asked of the Lord, from the Lord. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I've commanded you not to eat? Busted. Caught. And what is Adam's response? Woman! <laughs> she did it. The woman, and he even blames God here. The woman you gave me did this, you know? I mean, if I, on my own, I would have picked another one, God, but the one you gave me did it, right? And, I mean, you got to support your wife, you know? You know, happy family, happy home. You know, I want peace. So I, I went ahead and ate, too. Um, the blame. Do we do that? You got your own story? It's in your head right now, isn't it? When we get caught. There's another way. When you get caught, and that is surrender. It's just totally surrendering myself. Owning what I just did, owning what happened, and just saying, you got me. I, I blew it. Blew it here. Is there any way you could forgive me? Could we just talk about what a restoration route would look like? I just need to surrender entirely. In fact, when people are on a spiritual journey and they're searching for God and they're searching for something deeper and richer in their lives, there has to come a point in time where they understand before God, I need to surrender who I am to God. I need to surrender before him before that spiritual journey would ever be complete, before there was ever a fullness of what God has to offer our life. I was impacted at an early age in high school, uh, right about the time I became a Christian, of the story and the testimony of Raul Reese. Now, he's a pastor in Southern California, and if you're familiar with the name Chuck Smith, who started the Calvary Chapel movement, Raul Reese was sitting one day, and on the TV flipped a Chuck Smith. I, I want you to actually hear it in a more impactful way, so uh, would you take a look at, at this video clip that tells a little about Raul Reese's life. Mm. I could, it's impactful. I told you how impactful it would be. Um, <laughs> so that's all right. Let me tell you the story. So, of so Raul Reese got married, went off to, uh, to fight in Vietnam, came back home, and started to beat and abuse his wife and abuse alcohol. His wife all the time was a Christian lady who was going to church and praying for him and had her parents praying for him. One night, God kind of grabbed hold of his heart, and his first instinct, after being caught in his life, his first instinct was anger, and he was going to kill his wife. He sat in a chair one night with a gun in his hand, waiting for her to come home. Hey! All of a sudden, I go to the TV, I get the TV with a gun on the TV comes on. I'm watching the TV, and this is this guy that with the hippies, and he's terrible. He has a big old grin in his face and he's talking with Captain Cooler about God and about Jesus and the Jesus in the New Testament. And all of a sudden he sits in the school and he starts talking about God's love. And then when they realize that all of the past is gone, that it's all been buried, that God has absolutely nothing. 
And I'm sitting there listening to this, and I want to shoot this guy. I want to shoot this screen, you know, get him off the screen. I can't pull the trigger. I can't pull the trigger. All of a sudden, what happens? His words become God's words. Like an archer on that side with a, with a bow and arrow, and those arrows are hitting my heart. And those arrows are going into my heart. God is telling you, you need me. You need me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hey, listen, I have always taken. I haven't given. God gave his son for me, and I touched my heart. I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I got on my knees, and I asked Jesus Christ into my life. And I began to cry for the first time in my life, like a baby, asking God to please forgive me. Forgive me, God, for everything that I have done against you. And you know what? God had my prayer. He touched me. And he saved me. All of Amen. Yesterday, there was 21 guys that went to a men's conference, and speaking with several of them, I know that God, like, God grabbed them yesterday, and really what they were feeling was a feeling of, like, gosh, I'm kind of caught. You know, I, I've kind of found out, at least in my heart, of who I am and what I've been as the man of God, and I'm called to something so different. I want you to hear from them for the next uh, just couple minutes. So, Randy, would you share with us? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Amen. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. You see how different that is than lying. Dr- the dramatic give up, the blaming, is when we just surrender. And I understand this is who I am. Let's hear it. What? been a child of God for over 30 years. And it's time for 
Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks. So, what happens next? Like, when you're found out, like these gentlemen, like we, we saw on the screen, like we are hearing in this story this morning of this lady being caught in adultery. Like, what is next? What does God have to offer us at that point? Like, if this was one of your sitcoms, at the 23-minute mark, the person would be found out. They would uh, confess. Everyone in the family would kind of say, hey, it's okay. They'd pat them on the back. They'd all love each other. The credits would roll. And you would never hear about that in another episode. It would be done. But in real life, what is next? What, what does it look like after that? Jesus gives us this amazing view of what happens and what he has to offer our lives. Before I get to that, let me just tell you. If you're sitting here this morning and you're like, wow, those are amazing stories, I'm, I would guess that some of you, you're on the verge of getting caught. Like you've been rolling through life, holding on and just kind of sliding things here and there, closing doors at certain moments, you know, flipping things on top of folders at certain moments. Anything you had to do to not get caught or found out with whatever it might be in your life. And you're just like, you're just on the verge. Guess what? The day's coming. You need to hear what Jesus has to offer a life after you're caught and you surrender. What he has to offer your life. Because you might be right there on the edge of that today. Can I tell you first before we share these things? The best way is don't get caught. Confess. Confess now. Go to your wife or your husband and say, honey, this is, this is who I am. This is what's been going on. Go to your boss and say, this is what's been happening. Go to your friend and say, look, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I blew it here. And just say it. Lay it out. I'm sorry. Either way, this is what God has to offer us. Take a look at this here, and we'll jump back into the story, uh, if you will, here. The first thing that Jesus, we find he offers this lady is relationship. He offers relationships, simple. He says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman. Now, we've talked before about how powerful that was that a, a Jewish rabbi, as Jesus was, would talk to a woman in public. It, it was kind of something that didn't happen much often at all. Notice that when they brought the lady caught in adultery, we don't get any interaction between the Pharisees and the woman, no verbal interaction. Now Jesus turns to this lady, and in a simple phrase, he said to the woman. He spoke to her. You know what Jesus is doing? Is he's going against the cultural norm, and he is actually giving value to this woman by speaking to her. Giving value. Have you ever felt that? I mean, have you ever had somebody in your life that just spoke to you and you immediately felt value because this person is, this person's like talking to me. We think about it often in terms of like maybe a celebrity, somebody famous talking to us. You know, we talk to them for, you know, all of a sentence and a half and we get this kind of value feeling. We always go away and say, yeah, they're such a nice person too. I can really tell in a sentence and a half. Um, but Jesus, what he's doing is he's giving value to this woman 
by speaking to her. It's as if this woman, I can picture the scene that she has her face bowed down to the dirt, and it's as if Jesus is coming and lifting her chin up to make eye contact with her to have this type of conversation. Can I just tell you, look, if you've been found out, like if you're down in it right now, if you feel like the scum of the earth because your, your deeds or your thoughts, your actions have been found out, Jesus comes to you now and he says, let's talk. Let's talk about this. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to understand that, look, like, I'm not your jailer. I'm the person who's going to come and I'm going to be your redeemer. And he starts that with conversation, showing value. It may be this morning that that's what you need the most is to know that you have value in front of Christ, in front of the Lord, who can be your savior. He offers relationship. Maybe this morning, you, like you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ in your life. You've heard about it, we've talked about it, you understand a bit about it, but you've never said yes to a relationship with Christ. That's available for you like every moment of every day, not just Sundays here in church, for you to simply say, Jesus, come, take over my life. Be the Lord of my life. Uh, let's live in relationship from here on out. Second thing we see that is offered here is Jesus offers forgiveness to this woman. Take a look at this passage. Where are your, are your accusers? Didn't like, like not even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. You've got to understand in Jesus' role here uh, as a Jewish leader, there was permission given to religious leaders to cast blame and accusation and even sentence upon an accuser of the law. Now, the only thing that was limiting the religious leaders in this day and age from actually carrying out the sentence was the Roman Empire, which was under control. The Roman Empire had put some stipulations on it and said, look, I know your law says that you can take somebody out and stone them or this kind of a thing, but listen, that's a no-no in the towns. You can't do that in the middle of a town. So the Roman Empire was superseding some of the things that the religious leaders were actually allowed to do from the law. So Jesus here, who has set up this situation to say, look, I'm a a religious leader. I have every right to accuse you. I even have a right to pronounce sentence, or at the very least, I can take the sentence to the Jewish courts, the religious courts, and they can pronounce the sentence. But Jesus, we find in this story, he actually puts another twist on it. He says, anyone without sin, anybody who's never been caught, found out in their life, go ahead, you throw the first stone and I'll join right in with you. Go ahead. You get it started. And obviously, no one could do that. And they start slipping away, the oldest first, meaning the the most veteran of the leaders, and the younger following their lead to it's only Jesus left. Now, if as a religious leader, he has the right to pronounce accusation on her, now in his rules he just set up, he actually has right to throw the stone as well. Jesus, the sinless human. And yet, what does he do instead? He says, neither do I. I won't accuse you either. I'm not gonna accuse you. He's offering forgiveness Listen, do you understand this morning the power of forgiveness? Like, do you understand the, the power of telling somebody you're forgiven? Yeah, what you did 
it was terrible, but you're forgiven. You're forgiven. It hurt. It stung. I didn't like it one bit. Can't believe you got away with it that long. But you're, you're forgiven. See, we confuse saying it's okay with you're forgiven. Not the same thing. In fact, in our household, when you're wronged and you say, I'm sorry, we don't allow the other person to say, it's okay. Because that's not true. It wasn't okay. It wasn't right. But the power to still say, but you're forgiven. It's what Jesus offers us. And this morning, like you might need to be receiving Jesus' forgiveness. That might be the thing that's holding you back. You've been caught, you feel like a miserable human being, and you won't receive the forgiveness that Jesus has to offer. Could be this morning you're on the flip side, and what's holding you back is that you will not offer the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that's been offered to you. You've been wronged, and you won't offer the forgiveness to them. Maybe you've waited out the situation, and the situation seems a little smooth. I think we're okay. But forgiveness was never offered. And maybe that's what's holding you back this morning. Final thing we find, what does Jesus offer to us? He offers restoration. You see, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, let's talk about this, and hey, you're forgiven. He says, now let me restore you to what I, to what I made you, to what I've designed you to be. Jesus says here, neither do I. Now, go and sin no more. Now go and, like, don't do that again. Go and live a life without that, and, f- and you'll find life is so much better. Notice he's not dismissing her sin here. He's not just saying, it's okay, I'll let you off with a warning this time. I mean, you weren't going that m- many miles per hour over the speed limit, so we'll go ahead and, and let you off this morning, which has never happened to me when I've been pulled over for speeding, Amen. ever. Huh? Jesus is restoring her. He is saying to her, look, here's what, you, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to raise you up from this position you're in down in the dirt. I want to dust you off. I want to send you on your way empowered to live a different life entirely. It's what Jesus does for us, restores us, transforms us, if, if you'd like to use that word and understand. Because guess what? Like, sin steals Sin takes away. Sin damages, destroys. Jesus just takes this jumble of mess in our life, offers us forgiveness, and then he restores us and sends us out to live an empowered life. That's what you're hearing from some of these men that shared this morning. And I assume in your heart right now, some of you are longing for the same thing. And it's offered to you this morning. Here's the takeaway. The question is just simply, are you found out? If you're not, it's probably coming. It's probably coming. And if you want to save yourself it, maybe just get out in front of it in the the last line there, confess and receive what Jesus has to offer this morning. Receive his wholeness, the relationship he wants to give you, that he wants to forgive you, offer the forgiveness to others, be a part of the process. And then understand he wants to restore you and send you out living an empowered, strong life. I believe there's, there's someone here this morning that that's what you need. 
And I just want to give you, if I could, just a moment of just quiet reflection as we go into prayer time. Just, just a moment to allow you a few seconds to just get, get your words straight with God. Say it however you need to him. God, forgive me for this. God, restore me here. God, you know I'm holding on trying not to be found out. Help me to know how to confess. Whatever it may be. Let me just give you a few moments here. So would you bow with me? And let's pray. Father, my prayer is that you just heard a lot of confessions. Uh, Because it seems, Lord, that... Often the route is we confess before you, our God, first, even though it's weird because you already know, but we, we state it. There's this like verbal exchange in our heads where we're saying it to you, and there's power in that, and I pray that you just heard that from many people. Lord, I'm praying the next step would be the actual human confession to the person they need to confess to. They would just say it. This is what I've been doing. I know you've been picking up on uh, something here or there, and this is what it is. And they just unload it. And then immediately, Lord, you'd start the process of restoration. It doesn't mean there's not penalty. It doesn't mean there's, uh, there's not earthly uh, struggle sometimes when we confess. But Father, you are one that immediately puts on the path of raising our head and leading us to restoration. I pray that happened with lots of people right here, Lord. And if it's different, if you're just hanging on, white-knuckled right now, surrender is the best way. Father, equally want to lift up those they've already been caught, they've been found out, busted. And they've been left kind of picking up the pieces and figuring out life. Not understanding, Lord, that you have a a pathway back to restoration that you've paved right in front of them. So, Father, I pray this morning, if there be anybody in here you've been busted, found out, caught, and you've not immediately turned to Jesus Christ for what he has to offer you, that this would be the moment you would declare it in your heart right now. God, I turn to you. I look to your son, Jesus. Lord, forgive me. Restore me. Be the Lord of my life. God, I pray that those words were pronounced by many in here this morning. And Lord, my ultimate desire is that you would send us out of here now empowered to live out the Christian life. Not just living it out in our, our own wholeness that you bring that, but Lord, that we might go out and be an inspiration, a light, and an impact to others who have been caught or they're on the verge and that we could help walk them through this path of restoration as well. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Hey, this morning, um, some heavy stuff that might be processing in your heart and I would just love to be able to pray for you and help you know how to take the next step in this spiritual journey. And so if you would just Take a moment. We're going to do the offering in just a few minutes, and you can drop these cards in there. But if you'd just take a few moments to, to just share with me 
I'd love to be able to pray for you and lift you up. And if you're like, I'm a little weird about that on a card, just put down there, let's have coffee or something like that. I'd love to connect with you and sit down and just hear, how do we pray for you? How do we help you on your spiritual journey? Would be, would be awesome. Hey, um, a couple things uh, before we, we finish up and take our, our morning offering. And um, one is that we've been kind of jam-packed in the parking lot and, and in our seats and stuff like that uh, on Sunday mornings. The, the, I want to just let you know the staff and board, we've developed a plan on, on how we're going to be working on this growth um, so if you're sitting there thinking, gosh, I have this family I'd like to invite, I'm not sure, you know, where they sit, um, just bring them. You keep bringing, and uh, you keep inviting, and we're, we've worked a plan, and we'll be, uh, at, we're working with our teams, our ministry teams, and then we'll kind of share with you as a church, as a whole this week, and so a uh, good plug to read your email this week, so that comes from me, so you, 65% that don't open those, this would be the week for you to open them. All right. I mean, I'm not calling you out or anything or, you know, saying you're caught, but you're caught. So, hey, the other thing is um, I, I really appreciate the teams that have come and cleaned the church on Saturdays and other t- days. And we've had every Sunday that the church has kind of sparkled and been cleaned. And um, when, you go, when you guys all get out of here on Sunday, it doesn't always look that way. Um, so I really appreciate the work. And uh, I want to tell you uh, that we just feel like this is something we're kind of owning as a church family. And so I want to invite, uh, if I could, uh, my wife, Sheree, to come up. And she's going to share with you a little bit about how, how you can plug in that as well. <laughs> 